Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. Thank you so much for being with me. Uh, I'm extra excited about my guest this week because um, she is with one of our newest watch team partners, Visit Philadelphia, um, who's going to do a weekly city watch for us. So it's going to be a great, great series um, of segments. And uh, her name is Alethea Kalbeck, and she's the chief communications officer for Visit Philadelphia. Um, it's also a big day because we had a uh, first time female mayor elected uh, in the primary. Um, so we'll be talking about that as well. Later in the show, be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of corporate partners, um, bringing you news and updates from their fields and their companies as well. Um, and always you can find out all information about Women to Watch by visiting our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show, Alethea Kalbeck. Hi. Hi, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Susan. I'm so, so grateful and excited to be here with you today. Well, I'm excited to kind of dig in and, you know, learn a little bit more about you and your life story. We've had a couple of, you know, uh, meetings and conversations, but um, I always like to get to know people better. So yeah. this is an opportunity to do that. Um, and so, of course, I want to just start out, you know, with your upbringing and a little bit about the community you grew up in in Florida, uh, which is a town I had never heard of. Homosassa. <laughs> Homosassa. That's right. Homosassa, Florida. It's a town that a lot of people haven't heard of, actually. Um, you know, we always like to joke in my family that it is like this little slice of old Florida. Um, it's a really small town. Um, it's about an hour and 15 minutes north of Tampa. 
right on the Gulf of Mexico. And um, I grew up on a spring-fed river called the Chazawiska River. Um, and I actually won my fourth grade spelling bee by being able to spell Chazawiska. Um, <laughs> That's a very tough word. It's a hard word. Um, but um, the river and the place are incredibly beautiful. So I, I grew up in this kind of idyllic um, small little part of Florida um, that, you know, sort of begged for outdoor activities. And, um, mm -hmm. and my brother and sister and I spent, you know, all of our time fishing and boating and canoeing and, um, you know, playing outside and, and being what my dad used to refer to as like wild river children. Um, so <laughs> I think it was his dream all along. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was a great and wonderful um, place to grow up and to experience. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really idyllic. You know, we talk on the show often about, you know, kids today spend so much time in front of screens and here you were outside in nature and swimming yeah. and fishing and, you know, what, how do you feel about that when you think about the difference between the way you were able to be raised and, and yeah. the way kids are being raised today, kind of with that lack of nature and being outside playing when they're small, particularly? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I myself have a, have a seven-year-old son and, um, you know, it, the struggle is real in terms of being able to get kids to separate from devices and be entertained and find value in, um, you know, sort of beauty and nature and open spaces. Um, but, you know, we work really hard to make sure that um, our son gets out and about as much as he can. Um, we're really fortunate in Philadelphia to have, even though we're like in this, you know, bustling urban city, um, that we have so many parks and green spaces and open spaces for kids to explore and enjoy. So, you know, we live in the Mount Airy section of Philadelphia, which is just about as green as Philadelphia gets, I think. Um, yeah. And so we're right next to the Wissahickon um, Valley Fort, or Wissahickon Park. Um, and we go to Morse Arboretum all the time. And, oh, you know, so I, think, nice. I think, you know, yes, it is hard to make sure that kids are getting sort of that outdoor experience. I think the way that I grew up is probably not, for a lot of folks, um, not necessarily normal, um, you know, in terms of the extreme outdoors experiences that we had. Um, but I think there's value in, in a lot of different ways and facets of growing up. Yeah. Um I, I love that your parents still live in the house you grew up in. They so do. what's it like to go back there now that you've you've been and you've traveled the world a little bit and yeah, you're living yeah. in an urban setting? What's it like yeah. to go back? Um, it's funny because I realized how both big and small it feels all at the same time. You know, the this idea that I grew up in a small town and so therefore it's it it feels condensed or or minuscule but I actually have the opposite reaction now when I go home everything feels so wide open and free oh, wow. um and and so I think it's it's allowed me to appreciate that place a lot more mm -hmm. um but I was always a kid growing up I knew that I wanted to live in a city I never imagined that I would quite live in Philadelphia um, that was a surprise, but um, I, I think that, you know, the, um, 
the experience of growing up in a rural community like that, um, it makes you question and uh, maybe have a, a sense of hunger and desire to explore a little bit more. Okay. That was actually my next question. You know, I was thinking, yeah. were you this young girl thinking, I need to get out of this small little town and explore the world yeah. some more? Yeah, I absolutely had that. Um, I really, you know, have had sort of a wanderlust kind of uh, component to my personality for a really long time. Um, I don't know if that would have been the case had I grown up in a big city, but I feel the same. Um, you know, but I also had parents who um, valued travel and valued experiences. And so I was able sort of at a young age to kind of see the benefit of exploring the world and understanding people from different perspectives. Yeah. Tell me about your, your mom and dad and their messaging for you when you were growing up. So was it, did they encourage that? You know, we encourage you to, to leave here and, and go um, explore other parts of the world and, you know, dream big? Uh, for sure. Um, I think, um, you know, the, my, my parents really were, uh, I don't, I hate applying this term to them, but sometimes it fits. Um, my parents were, I guess we could say they were hippie leaning, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I got a little uh, bit of that in the photographs you shared with me. I thought they look, they look really cool. They were very, they are very cool. Um, and um, the, um, the thing that was cool about my parents is that um, because my dad is a photographer, um, my mom worked in banking, but she has this very creative side to her. You know, she's a big um, seamstress and quilter and potter. Um, so I was sort of surrounded by these very artistic um, parents who I think had a, a pretty broad worldview and tried to instill in all of us sort of this interest in things that are beyond the physical space and the things that are just around you to be curious and inquisitive. And I think that's also part of the travel piece, right? It's like you're curious about other people. And so you want to go and see how they live and how they experience the world. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, my parents definitely played a big part in the way that I sort of wanted to experience uh, the rest of the world around me. Do you attribute some of that to, you know, I was curious what piqued your interest in anthropology? You know, you went to uh, Northern Florida um, and graduated with a degree in anthropology. What, you know, what spurred that? It's an interesting question because I think a lot of people ask me how, like, why did you pick cultural anthropology? And, you know, did, is that what you wanted to be when you grew up? And, and I was never a kid who knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't go into college with like a plan, like I'm going to be a biology major and then I'm going to go to med school and then I'm going to be a resident. You know, like I, I didn't have that kind of plan for myself. I think that's a small, I, from, I think that's a small percent that do. I would say yes. even from years of doing this show and talking <laughs> to people, very few of us knew what we wanted to do when we were young. Yeah. So, and so I think, that, you yeah. know, like that, you know, picking a major in college, I always think that's like such an interesting moment in time because how are you supposed to know when you are 17 right. 18 years old you know right what you want to do what you want to be or where your strengths lie um but my sister said to me when i was i remember registering for my first set of classes in college she said you know you should really take an anthropology class i think you would like it because she's oh, five wow. years older than me okay and, um you know had 
by that point was already in grad school. And she was like, I, I think you might like that. Um, you know, I always had like a love of learning and I was a very curious person. Um, and so she's like, take it and see what you think. And I just, after my first class, immediately fell in love. Um, oh, that's so I, great. Yeah, I just thought it was such, for, for somebody, and I love the social sciences component of it too. And the things that I gained from a, from sort of studying anthropology are things that in, that I use and inform and skill sets that have grown, you know, over time and to, in order to do the work that I do now, you know, the yes. things that, that a degree in anthropology gave me were listening. You learn how to really be a very good listener. That's kind of what the core training in cultural anthropology really is, is mm. listening and observing. And they call you sort of like a participant observer, um, but really learning and understanding how to let people talk and engage and give them the space and time to say the things that they need to say. Um, and then the other thing that it taught me was uh, you have to do a ton of writing when you're an anthro major. Well, really any social science, I think that's probably the case. Um, and so I was able to really sort of hone a writing skill combined with this listening component. And, um, you know, when I graduated from college, even I wasn't quite sure exactly what I was going to do. Um, but I was able to leverage my writing skills into doing some ground uh, like grant and foundation writing in the nonprofit space. And from there, I sort of okay rest along but yeah you know I know that you attribute uh, you know a lot of what's enabled you to kind of explore your own gifts um, and skills was through mentors and teachers and tell me what have you uncovered about yourself and I it's always evolving you yeah. know uh, learning about ourselves and who we are um, but what are some of the things that they opened your eyes to that that you learned about yourself yeah I mean I've been really fortunate um, to have some amazing mentors and leaders in my life, um, all of whom are women, um, which I think is like an interesting thing. I would say maybe with yep. the exception of my own dad. Um, but, you know, the all along the way, I've been really lucky to have incredible women who have either helped illuminate something about myself mm -hmm. um, and or have been have modeled really great leadership styles um, that I've tried to incorporate and adopt. But I would say, you know, my first boss ever um, was a woman named Jean Hunt, and she led this nonprofit called the Campaign for Working Families. And I was an AmeriCorps Vista on her team, writing grants diligently. Um, but she was an empathic leader, and I think coming out of college where you know, you're really focused on sort of like doing the project and doing the thing. You don't really much think about yourself in the context of the world. And Jean really sort of modeled this thoughtful, caring, you know, empathic sort of style that I have always tried to live up to and emulate. Um, and I think as women in leadership roles, you know, I, I love the movement towards empathy and vulnerability within the leadership space, um, because sort of that that element of working didn't come naturally to me. So having a person to model that and for me mm -hmm. to see that firsthand really opened up the, you know, the way that I try to lead and engage with my team. 
Yeah, it it also wasn't a model that was, you know, years ago. Um, <laughs> leaders were the boss, right? And and yeah. that was it. And, yeah, Jean was ahead of her time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, I thought it was such a cool anecdote that um, you actually took a class and Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu taught this class when you were a senior in college. Yeah. I guess, you know, he's such an interesting person. Yeah. Is there one thing you remember him saying that you'll never forget? Well, I'm sure there were a lot of interesting days, but... It was fascinating. Yeah. So and I don't know how my university pulled this off, um, but they had him come and guest teach for a semester. And he taught on um, the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa following the fall of apartheid um, and really talked about how the community worked to heal itself after, you know, such divisive and terrible government-led policies that tried to destroy communities. They, you know, he really talked a lot about how um, they were sort of rebuilding um, an entire fabric and culture within a newly defined country. Um, and so one thing I always think about is um, this idea, the South African idea called Ubuntu, which is sort of you do unto others as others do unto you, right? It's sort of that like golden rule philosophy, mm -hmm. um, but that really led the healing process um, for an entire country. And I just, you know, it was it was a remarkable experience. I'll never forget it. I sat in the front row every day, just. <laughs> That's where I would have been <laughs> in the front row. But there was also just his presence and the the way that he, talked about problem solving um, and his incredible ability to forgive. Um, you know, really, it was just, um, it was it was one of those life-changing sort of core memory moments. Yeah. Um, How did he end up at your university? I have you know, no idea. Out of all of the schools <laughs> in the world. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a small little school in Florida. I really yeah. hope that they gave him like really lovely accommodations on the beach. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Um, but I guess yeah, no, it was somebody really... knew somebody knew somebody. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, I do, I do. But yeah, yeah. it was a very fortunate set of circumstances that I found myself in. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, you graduated cum laude, which tells me, yeah. you know, you were good academically. Was that something you had to work really hard towards? Was that a goal for you? to get the good grades and, or did it come natural? Oh no, that was always, uh, you know, a focus. Oh, uh, okay. I had to work hard. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm, you know, I wasn't somebody who scored, you know, exceptionally well on standardized tests, um, but I always knew that if I worked hard enough um, and focused and prioritized learning that I'd be okay. And that's yeah. what I did. Math is not my strong suit. <laughs> What's that? I said math is not my strong suit. Oh, no, mine not really. I, I just sort of. <laughs> <laughs> You're a people person, right? I thought. <laughs> yeah. And um, tell me just what was something that was hard for you that you have overcome or perhaps something that is still a challenge for you in life in general? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, honestly, it was the transition from being an in, like a really strong individual contributor on a team to being a leader of a team. Um, I had to work really hard at that. I know a lot of people talk about, um, you know, sort of having natural leadership abilities. Um, but for me, I really had to work at, you know, allowing people in, delegating um, and, and supporting and not trying to do the work myself, removing myself from um, the day-to-day -day in order to be able to support the growth and the development of the people on my team. And that took time and effort and energy and coaching, honestly, in order to be able to do what I do. And I think in the American system of working, we don't often talk about that enough, where you have somebody who's really good at the thing that they do, and everybody just automatically assumes that they can manage and lead a team. And those are very different skill sets. Yes. Uh, yes. And because there's a, such a fine line between, um, you know, you talked about being an empathetic leader, but you have to show strength. Yeah and confidence so that your team around, you know, they feel comfortable at the same time showing kindness. That's right. So, right? so that's a balance. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I, you know, I think it's really interesting the way that we accelerate careers in our, within our sort of hierarchical structures. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always, I've been really lucky um, to have other leaders in the past who were willing to invest in me and saw something in me to help mm -hmm. me grow. Yeah. And so like that leadership training and component was a big part of that for me. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's often the case someone else has to see it and show it to us and we, for us to, to see it ourselves. Yeah. It's yeah. very common. Yeah. Um, we're going to go into our first break. Uh, stay with us for our exclusive watch team segments and we'll be back with Alethea Kalbeck, Chief Communication Officer for Visit Philadelphia. We'll be right back. It's the number one news at 10 p.m. Action news on PHL 17. Join Shari Williams, Gray Hall, Deuces Rogers, and meteorologist Adam Joseph for all the big stories at a time that's right for you. Action news at 10 p.m. on PHL 17. Hey, I'm Ben. I'm Jasmine. We work at Visit Philadelphia, and this is Philly Watch. We can tell you literally everything about like Philadelphia. Everything. everything that's happening right now. But I want to take it way back to 1776. Okay, Jazz is going to give us a little history lesson right now. Just a little bit. We're at Independence Hall. Ben Franklin has just signed the Declaration of Independence. He's just started our country. He's the founding father of the United States, which you could say is a big deal. I mean, that's pretty important. A little bit. But I want to tell you about my girl, Betsy. Our girl. Yes, our girl, Betsy. <laughs> Betsy Ross created the American flag, which you would say is the ultimate symbol of patriotism, which I would say is it even bigger deal? I completely agree with that. Betsy is legendary. Yes. But let's fast forward now and talk about what's happening right now in our culinary scene. Okay, So yes. you probably know Michael Solomonoff and his award-winning restaurant, Zahav. Yes. Which is so good. But have you heard about Amanda Shulman she's from Her Place it. Supper Club? Yeah. yeah, she's actually nominated by James Beer Foundation right now as one of the top emerging chefs in the country. I'm not so, surprised. Yeah, me neither. She's just taking the culinary scene by storm. 
Yeah, and you know, you can't talk about Philadelphia without talking about the art. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people come here every year to go to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and they all want to run those steps like Rocky. Oh, are you running those steps like I'm Rocky? Absolutely not running those steps like Rocky. I don't do cardio, <laughs> but I do walk the streets of our city because our neighborhoods are filled mm -hmm. with so much art. Mm -hmm. And I love that I'm able to see all of this beauty thanks to all of the street artists like Amberella. Oh, yes. Okay, so what you're telling me is people should come for Ben, but stay for Betsy? Yes. Okay, come for Salmanoff, but stay for Shulman. Absolutely. And of course, come for the iconic PMA, because you have to do that, but stay and explore the art by Umbrella. Yeah, without a doubt. Oh my god. Okay, so you're starting to get our point here. From the very beginning in Philadelphia, we've had so many trailblazing women, and we at Visit Philadelphia, we value, we know how important they are, and the hard work that it took for them to get to where they are. So I'm so excited to spotlight them. We are beyond excited that every week we're going to be able to tell you about all of the game-changing women that are breaking barriers in our destination. Mm -hmm. And it's from the lens of women, aka me and Jazz, yes. for women. So tune in every week and expect the unexpected. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Alethea Kalbeck, the Chief Communication Officer for Visit Philadelphia, which is one of our newest partners. I'm very, very excited about that. Um, so what brought you to Philadelphia? Oh, um, I wish it was a more interesting story. Actually, it is an interesting story. Uh, my husband, um, we went to college together and he's one of those Philly guys. Um, one of those guys who just loves this city, loves this place. Um, and when I was in college, I had never even been to Philadelphia before. Um, so in 1999, which is when we started dating, um, I came to Philly for the first time and I loved it. Um, you know, I had never really spent much time in the Northeast. Um, and I remember sort of exploring the city with him, going from neighborhood to neighborhood and just thinking about how many different people um, I saw like block to block and was sort of blown away by the diversity of the city and by its, its just general presence. Um, I don't know, I loved it. And um, we kept dating. And then when I graduated from college, uh, he graduated a year ahead of me. So he moved back to Philly. We dated long distance. And then when I graduated um, after traveling for a little while, I moved, I moved here. Okay. Was he actually born and raised in the city or out in the suburbs? Uh, he grew up in Mount Airy. Oh, in Mount Airy. Okay. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful, I love the homes in that section yeah. of Philadelphia. They're so grand and, you know, beautiful architecture yeah. um, and a great spot to be close enough to the city, but have that suburban feel. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. At one time, Alethea, you worked for Aramark. And right, internal communications. And I'm curious what the difference for you felt like in being in a corporate environment with a company like Aramark yeah. and now being with Visit Philadelphia. Yeah, well, um, well, actually, this is my second time working at Visit Philly. So I've worked in Aramark in between my two stints. Oh, in between. Here. Okay. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so I came. Most recently, I was at Aramark right before I came back to visit Philadelphia. Um, and I would say it was a wonderful experience. I didn't know what to expect from sort of being in a large multinational corporation. Um, 
but I, I could not have been happier. Um, and, you know, I was really lucky to be on such a stellar communicate, like corporate communications team. I learned a ton. Um, my boss there, um, her name is Debbie Albert. She's their SVP of corporate communications. And she, uh, even though we only spent a short time together, um, I consider her one of those women who, um, you know, really. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Sort of took the time to mentor me, to guide me, and even when I left, I held on to her um, yeah. and um, count her among you know sort of one of the first people I would turn to if I needed advice, um, pro- professional or otherwise. Um, but being an Aramark, I was really worried about what's that culture going to be like, what's the experience going to be like, because I'd always worked in sort of the tourism space and in the nonprofit space. Um, but I was really pleased to find a really inclusive, welcoming, warm, diverse uh, culture uh, and company who really sort of puts their values out front and center and lives them every single day. Um, so I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people in Philadelphia don't recognize the corporate gem that we have in Aramark being headquartered here, but I couldn't say enough great things about being there. And they're in a beautiful space now in that 2400 building. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Um, when I think about your job, <laughs> it's a big job and mm-hmm. it's a lot happening all day long. It's a lot of activity and information coming in and out. Yeah. Um, I also think about the cities in general across the country today that all have similar challenges and issues that that's the front page stories, right? Yeah. So what is kind of your strategy and thought process to get people to have to for more of the good and the culture and the music and the all of that to be front and center yeah and the other stuff gets the front page yeah i mean there's no doubt that bad news um and bad news about most urban centers these days Mm -hmm. uh, leads in the headlines and 
you know, what we are at Visit Philadelphia, we are in the good news business. We are really focused on making sure that the negative headlines that proliferate are balanced out um, honestly and appropriately with all of the positive things that happen in our community each and every single day. Um, and so, you know, our strategy is really to amplify the good news. Um, we've worked really hard over the years to build a strong and robust social media presence. So, um, you know, we work really hard to make sure that our media partners out there who um, we're engaging with on a daily basis are, are covering the positives, but then we also leverage all of our own channels to share that information uh, as well to help people really get a better and more honest understanding of what Philadelphia is as a destination. I'm curious what your take, this is kind of a psychological question. And since you yeah. studied anthropology, what, you know, why do human beings gravitate towards, you know, the, the drama um, that's in the news as opposed to all the wonderful things that happen, as you said, every single day? What do, and how do we change that narrative, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, if I wish I had the, the answer to solve that problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a long-term strategy though, right? Like, Correct. I yep. think, um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot at Visit Philly is, you know, there's this idea that Philly surprises people, right? They think they know what Philadelphia is. When they think about our city, they might have preconceived notions of, of crime or safety or cleanliness concerns. But then when they get here, yes. they don't see a lot of that, right? right? Or they think they know what they can do. There's, you know, Rocky, cheesesteaks, you know, Independence Hall, and all of those things are great, right? Like those are, those are the foundation building blocks for what makes Philadelphia interesting. Right. But what they don't expect are all of the experiences that we as residents sort of know about from an insider perspective. Mm -hmm. um, they they don't they don't expect to see things like the Magic Gardens or that you can walk from neighborhood to neighborhood, um, or that Philadelphia has two waterfronts. Um, they don't expect those things, and so we do a really good job of surprising and delighting visitors. Oh, I love um, that. That's just by the nature of what Philadelphia is. Yes. Um, and I would also argue how Philadelphians ourselves sort of project and talk about our city sometimes, right? And so I think we work really hard to make sure that not only do the people who live here feel good about the place that they live, that they have that civic pride, um, but that when visitors do come, they see enough to want to come back. And we know that they do. Um, mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, it's something like 79% of our visitors are return visitors. That's awesome. That is 25 points higher than the national average. Wow. And we think that indicates exactly what we've been talking about, which is people don't, they underestimate us, mm -hmm. right? Like we love that's, yeah, that's underdog mentality, right? Like that's yeah. kind of who we are. Yes, um, yes. They underestimate us and they get here and they start doing things. And then they realize like, oh my God, that I'm missing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to have to come back. And then they do. And so yeah. really our tourism infrastructure 
um, helps to support that. We are a place that you can come time and time again and have a different experience every single time you come. Not I, yeah, I love that because I, and I also think it's, it's a very manageable city. So, you know, when, when I go to New York, my daughter lives in New York. When I go there, it's a whole different feel and it's just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I love New York, but yeah. I, and perhaps since I was born and raised in Philadelphia, I feel at home there. I do. But there is something really light and enjoyable, enjoyable walking through the neighborhoods, as you said, in Philadelphia and not feeling like it's burdensome. And, you know, you could really walk from one end to the other. Yeah. And as you said, be surprised. That's, yep. a, that's a good way to that is a good strategy to be the underdog and then surprise people. Yeah, we like that, right? I mean, yeah. that classic under promise over deliver, right? Yeah. 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 That's what what's we do your, in destination. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I ask you, what's your favorite spot? Oh, what would it, you know, do you have one that immediately you think about? Yeah. I mean, my, my favorite place um, is the Barnes Foundation. I, I love every single thing about it. I love the story of Dr. Barnes. I love how he was this underdog in the, in the art world um, and how he hung art in this non-traditional way. He hung it in the way he wanted to see it. Um, so when That's you go there, it's like art, not in a gallery, but like the way that you would see it hung in someone's home, it's intermixed with styles. And mm. um, he put things next together that he thought belonged together because for his eye, that's what he, that's what he liked. Um, and I, I just, I feel like that is such a great uh, representation of Philadelphia in general, right? Like there are so many things that we have here that we do for ourselves because we like them. Um, and, and not, not trying to do what everyone else is doing the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's we true. don't, we don't really care so much about keeping up with the Joneses, right? right. That's, yeah, yeah. We don't have to worry about that because we're going to chart our own path forward. And that's what I think is so interesting about the Philadelphia experience. That's why I love and appreciate the Barnes. I think it's such a good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the combination of art and horticulture and the natural component of the Barnes, mm -hmm. too, given my, my yeah. background. But um, yeah, yeah that's, beautiful. that's my days. Um, we should... You know, I made a note, I think, at the top of the show about Sherelle Parker, first woman um, yeah. elected in the primary to be the yeah. mayor of the city. Wow, that's a big deal um, in 100 years. So yeah. if I were to ask, you know, without asking you who you voted for, what is the if you could wave a magic wand, what's the one thing you want to see changed or implemented in the city that hopefully she'll be able to do? Yeah, yeah. Um I would really love a focus on cleaning and greening. Mm -hmm. I think our city is so beautiful and historic, and I would love to see a concerted effort citywide for people to respect and appreciate the neighborhood that they live in, for them to respect and appreciate sort of our common spaces, and um, for all of us to join together um, and to commit to, to keeping our city clean because cleanliness really does indicate a lot of other things to people. Um, and that's not just from a visitor standpoint, that's from a, that's, that's from a resident standpoint too. Um, you know, perceptions of our city, we feel good about our city when it looks good. Yes. And, yes. Um, 
you know, and so I would love to see a really yes. strong effort on, on cleaning and greening citywide. Yeah, I agree with that. I think when you're in an environment that feels good and beautiful yeah. and that leads over to your um, your actions and, you know, pride and all of that. I agree. Sure. That yeah. would make a big difference. Yeah. Um, tell me, um, in, ha, you know, in today's, when, when I think about PR and the digital environment that we live in, um, how do you look at that and how do you how do you utilize the abilities that you have um, from that standpoint and focus on the PR of the city and the brand? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's kind of twofold, right? Like on one element, on one side of things, we're really trying to um, tell the story of Philadelphia as a destination, as an American city. Um, in an honest and authentic way. I mean, I think there's no better word to describe Philadelphia than authentic. Like we are real and we <laughs> tell it like it is. Um, you know, there's, there's, I, I once heard someone say, you know, um, in Philadelphia, the people, you know, and, and the people are what make a destination different, right? So the people in Philadelphia, like we might make fun of your hair, but we also might give you a kidney. Like, we're really, we're like the kind, we're the kind of, um, we're the kind of place that is honest and true, but also we wear our heart on our sleeves. Mm -hmm. And so trying to communicate that from a destination perspective requires that media come here and experience the city firsthand. Mm -hmm. So what we do at Visit Philly is we bring journalists in from, you know, wherever they might be stationed, um, and we give them that on the ground Philadelphia experience. We find out what they're interested in. We help create an itinerary for them, but we don't handhold either because we want their experience to be real and true. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just sort of help show them the things that we see every single day that we think are worthy of some deep and meaningful storytelling. And then on the other side, you know, we're working really hard to we just released a new campaign on behalf of the, of the destination um it's called come for philadelphia stay for philly and it gets at that idea that we were kind of talking about earlier which is like philadelphia is the place you think you know and philly is the place that you come to discover and it's the thing that is the most intriguing um, and it's the thing that keeps you coming back time and again and so from a communications perspective, what we're really trying to do is sort of blend those two priorities of making sure that the story and the narrative about the destination is correct, and then also helping um, the media sort of see and experience and understand the destination from a fundamental level so that they can tell the story on behalf of us. Um, our job is really to influence the influencers and the media are yeah. the original influencers. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, we only have a few minutes left. I want to ask you, again, your job, you know, you're not sitting alone and creating something. You're, there's a lot of activity, um, <laughs> hyper-intensive, you know, news, breaking news, all that kind of stuff. How do you deal with it? You seem to me to have a very a calm demeanor. Oh. Um, but I'm curious, you know, how do you manage the stress, the anxiety, the worry that comes with a job like that? And being a mom, you're a mother on top of it. So that that little 
that little one's always in the back of your mind, no matter you know how big your job is or what you're doing. Do you have a Do you have a daily mantra? Do you have something that brings you back to pull you out of those stressful moments? Yeah, I mean, I one thing I always try to do um, is every single day I try to take a walk in the middle of my workday just to break things up and to get outside. I don't care how cold or rainy or whatever. I mean, if it's like really raining, then I probably won't go. But um, I do try to take those little breaks for myself, and I will put in like noise canceling headphones and just give myself a minute. I really, um, I try very hard to lean into mindfulness when and where I can. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I, I'm practicing it. I wouldn't say that I achieve that very often, um, but I do work really hard at that. Um, and then I also think, you know, my family and my friends and the, my, my personal interests outside of work help to give me the space and time I need to recover in between, you know, pushing really hard um, and working really hard. And, and I would say the third thing is I'm also really committed to the mission and the thing that we do here. I love this city and I believe that the work that we do really matters. And so that's also just sort of self-motivating yeah. um, to yeah. and know that I'm contributing to the greater good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I do think, you know, when when our work feels rewarding and fulfilling, then I, I was laughing, you use the word recover. So in order, in order to recover from work, I go out with my friends yeah. and then I come back. Yeah. But you do love the work and it's great. Um, yeah. And and listen, I'm excited to help promote this beautiful city and, and start doing some things together. So thanks yeah. so much for taking the time. Sure. Um, to tell us a little bit more. We're so excited to work with you guys. I am as well. Thanks so much. Thanks. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be back. This is Sue Rocco. Women to Watch is pleased to share a clip from Breaking Through, a podcast hosted by Madeline Bell, the president and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. This interview is part of a series in which Madeline interviews CHOP's women scientists about what inspires them and advice they have for other women interested in pursuing science and medicine careers. My guest today is Dr. Marnie Falk. Dr. Falk is a geneticist who specializes in caring for children with mitochondrial disease. So let's start with you describing what is mitochondrial disease and how does it impact children? Absolutely. It's very hard to look at somebody and know that their mitochondria aren't working. I give the analogy to my patients of a doll. If somebody brought you a toy doll and the doll's arm wasn't connected, you would know there was a trauma. There was something obviously wrong. But if somebody brought you that doll, let's say a child, and the doll wasn't walking and it wasn't talking and it wasn't blinking and the lights weren't going on, most parents would try to change the batteries. Well, that's what we think of as mitochondrial disease. The batteries aren't working properly. So things like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, even aging. When we age, our mitochondrial DNA integrity becomes impaired. We get deletions in it and we get less mitochondria. And you know this because if you're at a party with grandkids and little kids, who's the ones running around? <laughs> it's the little kids because their energy is just so much higher because our ability to make energy goes down unless we exercise. That really helps us. <laughs> so we're still learning all the different areas where mitochondrial dysfunction is happening. We're now recognizing it's probably 
much more than even one in 4,300. It's probably many more of us <laughs> than we'd like to admit. To hear more of Madeline's interviews with CHOP's amazing doctors and scientists, listen to Breaking Through with Madeline Bell, available wherever you get your podcasts. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Is the best vacation one that you find? or one you get lost in, one that takes you to new heights or reminds you to go with the flow, to get your feet wet and your wheels spinning, one that lets you find your own rhythm or get carried away. Find the best of yourself. Get lost in the woods. Plan your stay in the wild woods today. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between, for 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are and here we grow. There's a moment every hour, every day, every week. These moments shape our world. They add color, perspective, and sometimes pain. Moments are meant to be shared, shared by friends, family, people you trust. At Action News, we cherish every moment, and it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome back. That's it for another week of Women to Watch. Um, Stay tuned next week for my interview with Mary Lou McFarlane. She's the founder and CEO of Women in Sports Tech, a great organization um, supporting and providing resources for women in the field of sports technology. Thanks so much to Katiri for producing the show. And thank you as always to our team uh, of corporate partners and sponsors that help us bring the show to you each and every week. Have a great week, everyone. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. 
Hi, I'm Sean Casey, Senior Director of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. The Navy Reserve recently celebrated its 108th birthday. Formed in 1915 at the outbreak of World War I, the Navy Reserve continues to proudly live up to its motto of honor, courage, and commitment. These words, these values, for each sailor to live up to also have a special link to Women's History Month and advancing equality within the military. In 1942, the Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service, or WAVES, became a division of the U.S. Navy Reserve. This force opened opportunities for women to serve in several fields, including aviation, medical professions, communications, intelligence, and science and technology. However, WAVES remained closed to black women. And it wasn't until 1944 and after the urging from civic, religious, and civil rights organizations that the U.S. Navy permitted black women to join WAVES. Soon after, Harriet Ida Pickens and Frances Wills graduated from the Navy Reserve Midshipman School and became the U.S. Navy's first black female officers. Pickens was the daughter of William Pickens, one of the founders of the NAACP, who encouraged her to join the organization. She would go on to lead physical fitness training at Hunter Naval Training Station. Wills, a social worker, didn't have a brother to serve in the military, so she felt it was her duty to represent her family in the war effort. Wills would go on to teach naval history to incoming recruits and then return to her social work counseling veterans struggling with the horrors of war. These women exemplified the epitome of honor, courage, and commitment. Their willingness to dive into so many unknowns for the greater purpose of service to others is incredibly inspiring. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Harriet. And happy birthday, Navy Reserve. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, we have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries.
Meeting these challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.